Hello and welcome to another episode of Software Should Be Free from me, Tim Abel, where I talk about whatever catches my interest in the world of software. Just a reminder that Software Should Be Free is based on the slightly ironic idea that open source is the pinnacle of everything, but unfortunately you kind of need to be able to live and eat and therefore you need some way to make software expensive. <laughs> uh, so the thing that's on my mind at the moment... Um, as I float from contract to contract, uh, just a heads up, I do have availability for C-sharp and lead dev things. Should anyone know of anything or anyone I should be speaking to, that would be much appreciated. Uh, I'm also building the rustworkshop.co uh, agency for specifically Rust programming because that's cool and interesting. And that's coming along. I just started the Reading Rust Workshop meetup for local folks. Uh, and I've been hanging out at the... London Rust meetup group, which is vibrant and fun and full of really nice people. Great culture in Rust. Uh, excited to be part of that. So yeah, the thing that's on my mind after a lot of contracts is the types of people that you come across uh, and a couple of slightly insidious behaviours and personalities that um, have shown to be effective for the individual, but actually kind of destructive for the team, the project the client, the organization. Um, and these two are fast talkers and pattern obsessives. So fast talkers, I've always just thought that this was a like a little privately held belief, but I've been heading towards the end of listening to Ray Dalio's book, Principles, which turns out to be a superb book for life and business and work and hiring and systems, um, highly recommend. Uh, and in there, for the first time I've ever heard anywhere, he calls out fast talkers as being a problem. And he explains better than I could have what the problem is with fast talkers. And it is specifically that they use their speed and eloquence to be able to shut down important conversations and nuance. So somebody will declare such and such technology, such and such an approach, uh, and you'll see how this relates to the other personality problem, uh, such and such a pattern, like one of the uh, patterns of enterprise architecture, uh, such as CQRS or event-driven or whatever. Um, they'll declare that to be the one and only answer to the problem at hand, and they will push it through before people have the chance to kind of absorb what they're saying, think about the context, think about whether it's appropriate or not, argue for alternatives uh, and the reason it's such a pernicious behavior is because it's super convincing and trust building for the less technical or perhaps just less on their guard um, management peers uh, other people who float around and in my experience these people they're they're very good at getting the work they're very good at convincing those in charge that they're doing a fantastic job and everything would be much worse without them um, and that all of these more meek people who'd like to actually talk things over properly would be lost without them um, but what tends to happen is you work with these people for a month or so and you realize that actually they're not having properly open discussions they're a bit more interested in self-promotion than they are in the overall well-being of the project they're quite happy to push hard on what is a suboptimal 
technical decision for a project um, rather than be more open to the idea that some other approach that wasn't there forced suggestion is the thing so yeah i won't go more on that that's basically the point is that beware fast talkers uh, they are often self-promoting at the expense of the organization they are often papering over important nuanced details trade-offs uh, and using that speed to shut down discussion so definitely something to be careful of when hiring and something to spot in other people so i'm very grateful to ray dalio for like making me realize that it's not just me that there is actually a real problem uh, and he certainly doesn't tolerate people like that at bridgewater uh, and the other related thing uh, often they go hand in hand is what i would call pattern obsessives um so i've come across more than a couple of people in my contracting who hold the one or more of the patterns that software has built up for structuring systems like a badge that they wear um and they will declare it to be the answer to everything that nothing else is more important than this uh, i came across someone where solid was their badge um <clears throat> and they would declare to anyone who would listen uh, that the solid principles were absolutely the most important thing and everything should be solid and it gave them a big hammer to beat up anyone else who was not thinking the way they were who perhaps was a bit more broad in their thinking who perhaps was a bit more interested in like just solving the problem at hand and would use those patterns when they're appropriate and push things to better but not to the extreme at the expense of everything else and again um a very effective at a personal level for them in terms of appearing competent building trust giving comfort to non-technical management good at getting the role because they talk strongly about their principles about the patterns that they think are superb um like in development we believe solid to be a good thing um but it's not the only thing uh, there's there's more context than that um and a particular person who I won't name who took that kind of guise, the experience of actually working with them was less than stellar, frankly. Uh, they would, um, in their own time, without collaborating, without pairing, would rewrite a bunch of stuff that was already working in what they would consider to be a solid style. And although objectively it was uh, solid, it failed um, in terms of it introduced a set of layers of preemptive unnecessary abstractions so you could look at an individual class and go well yeah technically that's solid it's got a single reason for being what have you but they had completely fragmented the system to the point where it was basically impossible to work out how the damn thing worked uh, and they had allowed for a set of potential future changes to the system that were nowhere in sight um thus violating the yagni you aren't going to need it um which i think is a, a far more important rule at this point uh, don't get me wrong it's really good to have an opinion on a, the right way of doing things you you don't get anywhere if you don't start it's also good to know about these patterns and push towards them and apply them appropriately um but when it's done for self promotion over and above the team when it's done 
to pull the wool over the eyes of the people who hold the purse strings, make the decisions. I think it's a pretty damn toxic behaviour. Um, and you definitely have to watch people who talk very strongly about these patterns. Uh, this probably applies to consultancies as a whole. But they will talk in absolutes, get sales, um, and then maybe do things that perhaps weren't actually that appropriate uh, that will then cause problems down the line. Uh so yeah, once bitten, twice try, twice shy from my point of view. It's been a bit of a painful experience butting up against these people. Uh, I don't entirely know what the answer is, more, other than more awareness that these behaviours are there, they are out there, and they're pretty pernicious. They're pretty hard to spot for people who don't live in the details. I guess one of the defences is talk to the other engineers in the team and take it seriously when they raise concerns about these kinds of behaviours, because they are, they are causing harm. They are causing suboptimal design. They are, they are damaging the systems. Uh, so, on a related note, moving on to a different subject, but something that is, nonetheless, um, connected. Uh, I want to talk about architecture of code. Um, I've been on a journey, uh, a challenging journey, over the years. Uh, I started off my career not really knowing anything about architecture in code or systems. Uh, I got a web server, I got a database server, and I wrote code, and I didn't really worry about it, and I shipped. Um, and that was fine. Uh, and then I started to become aware of these kinds of patterns and um, architectural designs that we can use uh, in software. Uh, and... I was always a bit puzzled because it seemed to me at the time, this is probably nearly two decades ago now, um, that if you took all of these apparent best practices and you tried to apply them all, you would have a system that either you'd never finish or it wouldn't work or would be hard to understand. Um, but I couldn't quite figure it out because these were things were being pushed as like the best practice and you should you should use say event driven you should use microservices you should use whatever the flavor of the day was uh, cqrs um all this sort of stuff message-based systems you know it, it goes all the way from the like how you arrange your servers in the cloud you know serverless function apps all this stuff all the way down to like how you arrange classes or even whether you should have classes at all you know whether you're functional whether you're imperative but um and what I've come to realise, uh, and I've, I've heard this said by other people, so this is not novel from me by any stretch of the imagination, is your architecture should be emergent. So follow the Yagni, you ain't going to need it, you aren't going to need it, and start with the simplest thing that could work. Like, do good, don't be sloppy, do good design, um, do write your test coverage, that's super important, even at the earliest laying of foundations unless you're truly doing a prototype or experimenting that you know you're going to throw away. Uh, for most projects, you want to start as assuming that this thing is going to grow into its full production self. Um, but that means that you probably do want to start with a monolith, like maybe a Rails app where you just have a Postgres database, you have a Rails app, the models are all crud, and you just get on with it. And yes, sure, you could introduce CQRS. You could, in, you know, in .NET, you could introduce something like Mediator or Brighter, which are both really interesting approaches to how you wire up your behavior. 
but do you need that right now? Are you introducing unnecessary complexity? Um, it is important to note that these things are really hard to change once you've got it down. So do think about it. Don't just blindly go for the Rails CRUD monolith when actually it's perfectly clear that your domain is going to need event sourcing, it's going to need messaging, it's going to need microservices. Like, Don't be blind to the future. But equally, don't put in a bunch of heavy architecture when you really can't be sure which direction your project's going because it is twice as hard, no, more than twice as hard, to undo the wrong architecture and then do the right architecture as it is to go from a simple thing that works with minimal architecture into something much more complex. Uh, so some examples of how you might evolve uh, might be, you know, you start with a server-rendered monolith or API um, in Rails or .NET or whatever your tech of choice, choice with a relational database like Postgres or SQL Server backing it. Um, deploy to something simple like Heroku, not worry about anything infrastructure-wise or anything complex complex and then there's loads of directions you can go from there depending on the domain depending on how the system evolves depending on like how successful you are with customers and load builds so you might split it into uh, apis and have a single page application uh, in say react or something and then maybe you could support a mobile app off the same apis you could go to like some kind of graphql you could introduce cqrs and event sourcing and message based things either in the single code base or you end up splitting out into microservices that communicate over these uh, methods you might spin off an elastic search that loads the data from your core database so that you can do search fast um, you, you might uh, add in some data warehousing that pulls data out of this thing. You might split into more microservices. You might add some reporting services. You might add a caching layer, something like Redis. You might uh, introduce the full-on messaging between systems. Um, you might go for the full event sourcing. But the key point is don't just jump in with both feet to whatever um, architecture um, has has the hotness of the day or don't let one of the fast talkers bulldoze you into choosing their favorite thing like pay attention to people who are more nuanced and suggest that perhaps something dull and less sellable like a monolith that just will do for now because the cost of iterating on a more complicated architecture is high the speed that you can get out of iterating features in a server side rendered rails app is huge compared the moment you split that into an API and a front end you're going to cut your delivery speed in two at least uh, so yeah architecture not too soon beware fast talkers beware people who are using patterns as their sword um, and I'm going to leave it at that for today keep it nice and short uh, keep it nice and tight um, I've now got um, the email newsletter going out automatically when I post blog articles, which is cool. So if you go to timwise.co.uk uh, and you want to keep up, then please do drop your email address in um, and you can follow me whichever the way that the wind blows. You can unsubscribe whenever you feel like. Um, just a little, a little thing for whatever's going on. Uh, like I say, if you know of C-sharp things, that would be handy. Uh, if you're interested in Rust in any way and how that could help you as a programmer or you as a business, then do check out the Rust. Uh, it's check out 
rustworkshop.co. Uh, you can get to everything from there. I've got a podcast for that. I've got a Discord, which is cool. I'm quite liking Discord uh, and the, the Reading Meetup. Um, and I've also got some useful stuff on there for like finding in the blog for finding the community and generally getting involved and trying to be super helpful there as I as I go on my journey in Rust. So that's it for another episode of Software Should Be Free. Um, subscribe if you haven't. Uh, five star reviews are much appreciated if you think they're deserved. And I will see you on the internets. Bye bye.